Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Believe me, I know that there is a lot of things going on in the world, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities to discuss them over the course of the next three hours. But I want to start with some breaking news on the local entertainment scene. New announcement about what Summerfest 2021 is going to look like. And we're joined right now on the first Midwest Bank Hotline by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. Don, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, let's talk about the the, the big news. What Summerfest 2021 is going to look like, and then we'll kind of explore why that decision was made. So what's it going to look like? Sure. We're we're changing the festival format to three weekends versus 11 days. So we'll start on June 24th and work 24, 25, 26. July 1, 2, 3, and July 8, 9, 10. We will eliminate two Sundays, two Wednesdays, and a Tuesday. That's five days. So what the essence of this is, and, and, and what we discovered through surveys and focus groups and, 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 and data mining, was that our customers want more national bands earlier in the day. And so... We're going to take the expenses from those five days that I just gave to you, and we're going to reallocate them to the weekends, where we'll have local bands up early, but we'll, you, you, you can picture a national band being on the Harley stage or the Miller stage at 5 p.m., and then another headliner at 9 or 10 o'clock that evening. So... It's an effort to go after more quality versus quantity and, and really fish when the fish are biting. More, people are more apt to be out on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, with disposable income and, 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 and using their enter- entertainment dollars uh, on those days versus the five days that I gave you, which really – when it came right down to it, they were really weak, and that is W-E-A-K. They were weak days for us, and we were spending a lot of money to produce those days, and our money can be better spent in reallocating to three weekends. Now, Don, this is just, in some ways, respects the logical progression. A number, I mean, Summerfest originally was always Thursday through Sunday, 11 days, and a number of years ago you made the decision to to drop that first Monday because of of a variety of things, including, I I think, weak attendance. So this is really just kind of the logical progression of that, I would imagine. It is. I mean, you know, when you look at uh, theaters and restaurants and so on, I mean, you find a lot of um, businesses closed on Mondays. But when you're running a music festival, the expenses are, are, are significant, and whenever you can maximize those dollars on different days, we concluded that that's the way to go. Even though it's two less days, we're going to have better bands, and we're going to have the bands that our customers, our fans are looking for. They're still at a very affordable price. 
We're still going to have free gate admissions. We're still going to have promotion days. We're still going to have a children's fest day, et cetera, et cetera. So none of that's going to change. We're just going to amp up, no pun intended, right. <laughs> the the quality of the um, of the bands that we sign. And on top of that, on the fringes, if you will, pre-Summerfest and post-Summerfest, we're going to do a lot of shows in the American Family Insurance Amphitheater and the BMO Harris Pavilion. We'll probably do more shows in those two buildings than in the history of the festival. So there's going to be a lot of activity in that building. It was too bad we couldn't use it this summer. Uh, it turned out beautiful, uh, and I'm referring to the 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 uh, reconstruction of the amphitheater. So, and and I know we're not alone there. I mean, the, you know, everyone's hurting, and that includes sports and 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 restaurants and businesses alike. I we understand that, but we had a we had a scheduled board meeting. This morning, we went through all of this. Um, it was a unanimous decision. And so while we do understand that there are more important things going on in our world today mm-hmm. and in people's lives have changed because of COVID and also social unrest, this is just one of those things that we had to get out there and, and get on with it for the planning of 21. Don, just so I'm clear, th- this is not a, a one-off plan for 2021. This is this is the plan for Summerfest moving forward. Is that correct? We'll see. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, you know, that, that, that this is a perfect plan. And, and, and if, if it works, if, if, if all of the data that we considered in making this decision plays out, well, then it'll be a nine-day festival going forward. I mean, you know, who, who's to say that there isn't a show on Wednesday night prior to the opening Thursday? And and who's to say this might turn into a 10-day festival? I mean, you know, everything changed with COVID. Everyone's life has changed. Their, their personal life, their social life, all businesses have been affected. And, and, and we're not on an island here. So... We really believe that we have to be flexible, we have to be creative, and we have to be able to pivot when, when, when it's necessary. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. We lost $10.4 million in 2020. That's before depreciation uh, by not operating Summerfest or any other shows down here or the ethnic festivals. So that's quite a mountain to climb to try to make that money back and start replenishing our reserves again after we put $10 million of our own money into the amphitheater, which was a $51 million project. So, you know, I, I have really, I, I really couldn't tell you what the future holds. I can tell you exactly what 21 is planned for. And if for some reason we run into a fork in the road in 21, well, then we'll, we'll make a decision at that time. Don, you mentioned the ethnic festivals. Does this new schedule for Summerfest proper have any, will it have any impact on any of the ethnic festivals and their scheduling? No, the ethnic festivals would have the same dates as they would have had in 20. Got it. Um, one of the other things in your announcement today, uh, for the nine days of Summerfest, it, it looks like eight of the, the days are already booked for the amphitheater, and it looks like you've got just a, a killer lineup coming there. I can give them to you if you're interested. Sure. Okay, on June 24, we have Khalid, 
25 is Luke Bryan, 26 is Justin Bieber, July 1st is Dave Matthews, the 2nd is Blink-182, the 3rd is Halsey, the 8th is Stapleton, and the 10th is Guns N' Roses. So we have one date to fill, July 9th. Actually, it's filled, but we can't announce it yet. (laughs) And we have some other shows sprinkled in around those dates already. Right. So I think that's one of the things that people need to recognize as well, in, in part because of the, the partnership you have with, with Live Nation now. Mm-hmm. The, the Summerfest grounds, there, there's even outside the parameters of the run of Summerfest, the, the Summerfest grounds are going to be utilized probably more than, than ever in 2021 with big shows, right? Yes, sir. That was a great deal we did with the Frank Brothers, which is the Live Nation partner here in Wisconsin. And that will provide more more shows, more opportunities. Uh, it required um, the uh, reconstruction of the amphitheater. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't be getting more shows. And you know, there are some shows that we won't get. There are some shows that just play that you know they just want to play indoors, and we'll will not get a shot at those. And and there's plenty of venues in town for for those bands to play indoors. And then. And then we're going to get a shot at, at bands that want to play amphitheaters. So we feel like we're in good shape there, and, and, and we're set up for the future. Don, I, I'm sure there's going to be some traditionalists who will look at this and say, I, I, I really I really miss that Tuesday show, or I can't believe yeah. that they're doing away with opening day Wednesday. But this is kind right. of the new reality that, that, that you're dealing well, with in a festival. Let's let's just you know get this out of the way. I mean, we know we're not going to get all the votes, and we know that there will be, you know, there will be some that don't agree. But you know, we're going off of data. I, I, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I love that. I think that's passion. That's like arguing who should hit second or third and play right field or second base. I mean, if they're not talking about you, I mean, then you really have a problem. So. You know, everyone's in, entitled to their own opinion. We're just going on the facts. We know what our attendance is. Well, going back years um, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we know what kind of revenue we do on those days, and we know exactly what the expenses are. So for us to set this up and get it ready for future generations and replenish our um, reserve funds, this is the move that we need to make. Got it. Don Smiley, Summerfest CEO, thanks so much for spending some time with me this afternoon. I always appreciate it. You're welcome, Jeff. Always good talking to you. Take care. All right, we're going to do this for a second. And by the way, again, I I understand that there's all sorts of other things going on in the world. And trust me, we, we will discuss many of those over the course of the next couple hours. But this... You know, Summerfest is a big deal. As There's no secret, I am a huge fan of Summerfest. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, the breaking news today is Summerfest 2021 moving from 11 days until 9, and it's going to be over three weekends, three consecutive Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings. And, and you heard Don Smiley explain the thinking behind that. I am not surprised by this. To me, it makes a, a lot of sense. And even as somebody who is a traditionalist and who, who likes those sort of empty Tuesday afternoons when you can wander around, I understand why they're doing this. I think this is probably something positive to move the festival into, uh, again, 2021 and beyond. So I think it's a good decision. But what do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment.
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A couple people in the text line saying, okay, watch general admission prices skyrocket. Well, all I would say to that is not at least for 2021. 2021, they are maintaining $23 general admission ticket, and they've also had a commitment to free daily admission promotions. And as I've been saying for years and years, that the truth of the matter is, with all the different deals on Summerfest tickets that, that are out there, even independent of the Summerfest free admission t- uh, prices on on those days where they have it if if you're if you're looking for a discount and you can't find one you're you're not trying very hard that, that that's just the reality but for people who are saying okay this is going to be an excuse to jack up the ticket prices or the admission prices at least for 2021 no they remain the same dave in oak creek dave you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff um i go to Summerfest every year and i like to go a few days every year but the new scenario that they're uh, outlining basically is going to make it where they're trying to get the most bang, in other words, the most people in, in the smaller amount of time. Yep. And that, to me, says it is just going to be so overcrowded that it's not going to be enjoyable. Your only satisfaction will be, ha, I scored this two square feet of space, and that's not my cup of tea. I like it where... You know, I don't need the, to see a high-end act. I want to go there, have a few beers, have enough room where I can talk to people, mm-hmm. and not literally be uh, jammed in shoulder to shoulder and just getting dirty looks from everybody well, you know, because, you know, I'm invading their no. two square inches. You well, know? Dave, Dave, thanks, no. you guys, and I, no, thanks, you guys. And I, I appreciate the thought. Now, here, here is my sense, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who for – you know, most summer fests over the last 20 years has been there every weekday, you know, broadcasting live every weekday that there's a summer summer fest been going on. And, and I will tell you, during the day on, on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and even sometimes Thursdays and Fridays during the day that the, it is not crowded. That that's just been my experience to the point that sometimes it's it's I don't want to say empty that that's not right but some of these Tuesdays and the, these Wednesdays during the day there's just not a lot of traffic there. My guess is that by going to the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, yes, on on Thursday and Friday during the day, yes, there will be more people there than might have typically you know been there. But still, they've got a lot of space. Now the, the truth of the matter is, on a, regardless, I mean a third. Thursday night or a Friday night or a Saturday night, if you're going down there, prepare to deal with crowds. That, that, that's that been true in the past, and it's going to be true now. I, I guess there are going to have probably more people there on Thursday and Friday during the day than they typically did. But again, the, the grounds are big. My sense is they're going to be able to handle it. And again, I, I think, look, Don Smiley's a really smart guy, and at least in my opinion. And I think if what they find is that it becomes so overcrowded that it's uncomfortable and it starts turning people off, maybe they're going to reassess. I My sense is that's not going to happen on your typical Thursday and Friday if you go down during the day. You go down at night, well, okay, you know, prepare to deal with crowds. That's just kind of the reality. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. I'm in my 60s now, and, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, holy cow, it's going to be just jam-packed. It's cattle call. It's what we did in our 20s. And that was okay then, but now, no. <laughs> You're not. Uh, it's, a tur- it's a turnoff. I mean, because I already know when you have it on them weekends, 
it's going to be jam packed. Mm-hmm. And the and if it, my thing is, if, Jeff, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's a festival for everybody. Yeah, but I think the problem that they have is when you say it's not broke. I, I think in some respects that they, they view it as, if not being broken, maybe damaged a little. Attendance at Summerfest has been going down over the last couple of years, even before this. So I, I think you know, and of course you, it, it's it's not just about how many people you can put on the grounds, but it is about making sure that you have a, a critical mass to keep it, it viable. Now, th- thanks for call. I mean, I, th- this is you, you got to understand. And look, and I believe me, I don't like crowds. I didn't like crowds when I was 25 years old. I certainly don't like crowds at, at my age. And and there is an appeal, like I say, on being on a Tuesday afternoon where it, the, it's you, you can wander around and there's nobody near you. Um, but but the truth of the matter is that's not necessarily what you're looking for for the viability of a festival. Now again, I so you yes, it, it will be more crowded on those those nine days. But again, given all the infrastructure improvements that you've seen to Summerfest, I mean, you're, you're talking to somebody who's been going to Summerfest since the 70s and remembers the porta potties and things like that. Given the infrastructure improvements, you you can handle a lot of people on the Summerfest grounds. And if the difference is on a Thursday at one o'clock, you've got. 25,000 people as opposed to 5,000 people, you can still handle that, that 25,000 people, that the grounds can, can support that. Um, plus, from the perspective of putting on the show, I think this allows the, the organizers, Bob Babbage, etc., to, to put a, a more kick-butt lineup of musicians together when they have to fill nine days as opposed to 11. Look, if this ends up not working, I, I think the Summerfest board, and I know a lot of members of the Summerfest board and the people that run Summerfest, I think they're willing to go back to the drawing board. But this was kind of inevitable. And matter of fact, I, I might have predicted something like this be, as you looked at the at the attendance and the fact that attendance had been dropping off over the last several years. This is something that I think they feel is in, in the general interest of the long-term interest of the festival by, uh, again, putting on quality entertainment. And look, I'm a traditionalist. I, I understand, but I remember the big hullabaloo when they said we weren't going to do Mondays. I can remember doing, you know, a, a show after show on that, and people were just very upset. And I think most people recognized it. It worked out well. My guess is that this is going to work out well as well. I just hope that by the time that the June June 24th rolls around next year that we're, we're able to get together in a public setting like that. I, that's, that's my big wish right now. Back with more in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. And again, if you're, if you're just tuning in, the, the Summerfest decision, Summerfest next year, it's going to be three weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. For, for three consecutive weekends. As Don Smiley said, this is going to have no impact on the ethnic festivals because there was typically a, a week um, after the end of Summerfest, a weekend where it wasn't the grounds weren't used anyway. So this is going to be it, and the ethnic festivals will continue as planned. So it's not going to have any impact on on that. I, I just, I mean, as, as Don recognized, that no decision is going to be, you know, you're not going to get all the votes. And um, I, I think, again, I think this makes sense it makes sense from an economic standpoint it makes sense from an attendance standpoint given the fact that you you do summerfest has seen declining attendance and i, I think they're and 
They've got increasing expenses and declining attendance, and I think they're trying to figure out, you know, how you make sure the festival stays viable. And so what they've done is they've condensed it a little bit. They've picked out the days where people are most likely to go. That's Thursday, Friday, and and Saturday. And, and yeah, I think some of the criticism saying, okay, it's going to be more crowded on Thursday afternoon and more crowded on Friday afternoon, I, I think there's... There's probably something to that. My guess is, my guess is that it's not going to discourage people. And and candidly, I mean, the the idea of being able to show up at two o'clock in the afternoon and, and see, I, I don't know, see a national touring band is is good. Now I'm getting several texts saying, well, you know, what what about the local bands? And um, my guess is that you know they're still going to have local bands, but yes, they'll probably be dialing that back. A little, but at the same time, again, what they're trying to do is they're trying to put out product that's going to be attractive to the most number of people. Here's a text. Jeff, I think Summerfest needs to remember where they started. The acts the last few years have not been that good. That's why the numbers are down. Well, I, I don't know. Um, again, I, they'll try it and, and they'll, they'll see. My bigger point, and I say this very sincerely, is I cannot tell you how much I hope that we are able to have a traditional summer fest in in 2021, whether it's 11 days or nine days or or whatever. And um, it's just I, I was saying to somebody this morning that we were talking about 2020 and we were talking about, you know, all the different stuff, whether it's covid or whether it's the the social justice movements or all just the turmoil. And I, I just. 2021 has been just a giant poop sandwich. <laughs> there's just I, there's there is no other way to view this, and and it's just no matter where you turn and look, this is what's going on. And I'm I'm just I, I want I'm saying to somebody I I want a year of normal. I mean I, I want 2021 to be a year where you know we we can we can have a Brewers opening day, and I can get to go back to the dugout, and interview the players, and all those things. I, that's that's what I want to do, and I want to be able to broadcast from the Wisconsin State Fair, and I want to be able to broadcast from Summerfest, whether it's Thursday and Friday, or Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and th- or, or Tuesday through Friday, or whether it's Thursday and Friday. I just I want that sense of normal, and I think. A lot of us do, and and hopefully we were going to get that in 2021. All right, let us switch gears. I um, after I got off the air 2:30 yesterday because there was supposed to be that's when our Bucks pregame started, and then the game was supposed to be at three o'clock. And I went, I had a golf game arranged, so I went directly to the golf course, did not pass go, got there, met my friends, and and we we played golf. So I I was blissfully unaware of everything that was was going on finished the golf game pl- completed 18 holes it was around like 715 720 came home kind of changed my clothes was sitting down my lovely wife was making dinner and for me and she said well what do you think about the bucks not playing and i said what do you mean the bucks didn't play and then she she told me no that they they had in, in a protest they had decided that they weren't going to play and then she said and the brewers aren't playing either and i said oh Huh, that's kind of interesting, and and so that that's kind of how I learned about it. I I did not know this was going on until you know after after the fact. So everybody knows the story by now. The the Bucks were really the leaders in the NBA in making the decision. People are describing it. And I think some of the Bucks players might have said boycott. It's really not a a boycott. A boycott is where you say. Oh, right, don't don't buy these grapes. Um, the, the Bucks were saying we're not playing, so it's more like a 
a, a strike or a protest or whatever, but the Bucks made the decision that they were not going to play as a statement on the social justice issues that you know that had been going on for a while, but culminating in what happened in Kenosha earlier on this week. And then a number of other player teams made the decision that they weren't going to play, and as a result, the NBA canceled games yesterday, and it appears that they are canceling games today, but at least the the planning is the playoffs are going to resume tomorrow. I don't know that there's been any final word about that, but the the season, quote-unquote, does not appear in jeopardy um, after after today. I think it's going to kind of go back to normal, and everybody's going to resume where it was. Um, I'm I'm reading all these stories. For example, there's an opinion piece uh, on USA Today. Milwaukee Bucks' decision not to play NBA playoff game will alter the course of, of history. Uh, This is by Nancy Armour in USA Today. There are moments that transcend sports, actions that get seared into the public consciousness and alter the course of history. The Milwaukee Bucks' refusal to take the court for their playoff game Wednesday afternoon is now one of them. By deciding not to play and bringing a good portion of the sports world to a halt, the Bucks held a mirror up to America, demanding it confronts what too many have ignored, excused, away, or at worst of all, accepted. Systematic racism, the poisonous attitudes and mindset that allows a police officer to treat a black person as if they have no worth, no humanity, is woven tight into the fabric of this country. And and then the piece goes on. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me be real clear here. I... I have no issue with the decision that the Bucks as a team made or that the NBA made to decide that as a matter of protest they weren't going to play the game. To me this is this is the, the classic form of uh, again nonviolent protest making a statement. Uh, uh, you know people people didn't get hurt. We weren't burning buildings down. We weren't throwing bricks. You know, we just have people coming forward and trying to call attention to an issue which is obviously important to the players, and they did it collectively. And and, and so I, I would not ever criticize that, that type of decision that en- they ended up making. Okay, the, the headline, though, is the decision is going to alter the course of, of history. And I guess I find myself wondering, even though I think it's perfectly fine to do this, what 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 is the end game here? Um, obviously, I'm reading a book called called May. I've said this before, May Day, 1971, and it focuses on all the protests in Washington D.C. Um, where the anti-war protests and the war in Vietnam really kind of came to a head. And it's a fascinating book, and it looks at the response to the protest from the organizers and from the Nixon administration, etc. About halfway through, it's it's a it's a, just a great read. But in that particular case, the, the protesters were united in, in a movement with a specific objective. The objective being end the war, stop the bombing in Cambodia, in Cambodia, stop incursions into Laos, bring the troops home. Social justice movements are are like this that's going on now. It's a much more nebulous concept. And I do find myself wondering what the end game is. I I have no issue with what the Bucks did. I have no issue with, with what the NBA did. My question is, number one, what is your reaction to it? And number two, will it in fact make a difference? Have have we altered the course of history by the NBA, led by the Bucks players, deciding that they weren't going to play basketball games yesterday and today. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to the decision, really events put in course by the Bucks and then followed through by the NBA, and then there was a spillover. Lots of Major League Baseball games canceled yesterday. Now the Brewers. My understanding is they're playing a doubleheader today, so that they they went on quote unquote strike. I guess I'll use that phrase because it's really not a boycott yesterday. But now they're they're back playing. The NBA, according to all reports, is going to be playing um, starting tomorrow as well. I think the games today are going to be canceled. So your your reaction to what happened yesterday, Matt in Oshkosh. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi there, Jay. Hi, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't think what happened with the Bucks necessarily was. Uh, this big moment in history, I was actually kind of disappointed to see the NBA resuming the season, but I don't think the the goals of what they were doing were as nebulous as you, you know, previously mentioned on air. I mean, I think if you listen to, you know, especially the end of the statement that George Hill made, he, he had a call to action. He, he wants the legislature to, you know, the state legislature to resume session and to do something. And, and, you know, we've seen them calling for people to vote and educate themselves. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that that they have, you know, a step forward. And I think this is it wasn't the, the moment in history that maybe that article implied. But I do think it's moving the needle forward, hopefully a little bit more. OK, what's what is the end game? Let's say for the sake of argument that um, the state legislature doesn't come back into session to, you know, to. To, to address some of these things, what what happens then? What's what's the next step? Uh, I mean, I, I think that's tough, but I think a lot of it has to focus around uh, the type of policing that we're doing and mm-hmm. moving into a new age of policing and really trying to focus on and, and think about, uh, you know, these over-policed communities. Is it worth having them there? Is, is there other avenues besides the, just law enforcement that can you know, act in these communities that maybe have better training on how to de-escalate situations or how to work with mental illness um, and maybe not always bringing a gun to these situations. Okay, well, see, and Matt, I, again, I, I think that that's fair, but that kind of ties into the point of what I was making about the, these these more nebulous sort of concepts. And, and that's, see, that's one of the problems. I, I And again, I, I have no problems with people's right to protest. And, and again, if you want to make the social statement, that that's fine. It, it is not an issue with me, and I'm not being critical of that at all. But it, I do kind of, I always note, okay, what's the end game? Because like I say, the protests in the 70s, it, it's end the war, stop the bombing. Um, this is a much more nebulous sort of concept. Okay, well, you know, we, we want to reassess our, our policing. Or if, if it's, we want to defund the police, we want to do away with the police departments. And I'm not saying that's what the Bucks were trying to urge yesterday. But again, it's the, these nebulous sort of concepts that are there that get me, again, making the note of, um, what, what, what are we, what, what is the end game here and how do you measure success? Okay, here's a couple texts. Jeff, um, what the sports teams did yesterday won't change a thing. Jeff, I won't be going anymore to Bucks or Brewers games. Um, I'm a season ticket holder. Um, I correction was play sports. Don't interject politics. Well, I, you know, I, I think candidly, I think that that's kind of an extreme reaction as well. I mean, people, have a right to express themselves. And and candidly, I mean, I I think collectively, you know, what 
if, if you want to engage in a protest, I, I think yesterday's was that that type of, of protest. You say, OK, we're we're not going to perform. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 um, Jeff, um, again, I won't be going to any more games with this. Uh, Jeff, not one pro athlete will ever see a dollar of mine again. I don't care if they ever play again. As far as I'm concerned, their opinion means as does not mean much to me. Um, Jeff, who in their right mind really cares what pro athletes think? They should do what they are being paid to do. Keep the politics out of sports. Um, you know, you've, you've got there. Jeff, I think this was nothing but an empty gesture. Um, Jeff, while most of my family members never attended or watched NBA games, uh, while most of my family members who never attended or watched NBA games praised the boycott, I did not. I was a diehard fan who religiously watched the NBA until this year. It was an escape from the news cycle and a couple-hour break from the outside world. It is no longer fun to watch, no longer an escape. After years of watching every playoff game and spending hundreds on tickets, I have finally had enough. I found other things to do in my free time that I find to be far more relaxing. Um, Jeff, who's endgame? Um, the left wants to use this as a display of virtue. Well, okay. Um, so, Jeff, let's see. I think... Um, I think it was a breath of fresh air. And that's I, and again I I just I think it's an it's interesting and I think the players have every right to make that statement that they're making. I I was kind of I was genuinely curious as to whether the season was going to resume because I, I kept thinking and I'm I'm not advocating this one way or the other, but I mean I guess if you really wanted to make a statement, you you cancel the season. You say we're not we're not going to play anymore. But then of course the problem is if you make that statement and again with with these sort of nebulous goals that are out there what what happens when it's time to start the new season in october or november do you say well we, we haven't seen the progress we want to make so we're not going to play there i mean i i think it it was a, a well-intentioned statement but at the same time is it is it something that's going to alter the course of history i think that might be a bit of a, an overreaction back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Eric built that. We're, they're, they're going to have another press conference in Kenosha. Now, the, 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 what yes. they did yesterday, we pretty much covered the entirety, and it was... It, it was it was a very in my opinion it was a very strange press conference where a lot of it was unfocused I mm, guess would right be, that's a good word that's I, good I think word. it was unfocused and I mean for example one of the things that I still have not heard is how many people have been arrested I I would I, matter of fact I fully expected them to come out and say okay as a result of not, not just the, the shooting of course but as a result of all the vandalism and the rioting mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. we, we've we've taken X number of people into custody and no numbers like that to my knowledge nope, have come out at all. No, nobody we, we don't know if anybody has been arrested in connection with all the arsons and things like that and I, I was somewhat surprised by that of course the the positive news is last night there were demonstrations but no, no appreciable calm, violence, yeah, right? Yeah. Very, very calm that was there, and now you have Jesse Jackson that was in town today. Um, so, do we know what they're they're supposed to accomplish at this press conference? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to well, be flip. They, just... I understand they they intend to provide an update indefinitely 
every day at one o'clock through this situation as a way to be transparent through that. But great question, because obviously they can't really provide any information on the investigation at the shooting from last Sunday because the DOJ is handling that. Right. Um, Other than maybe some of the the law enforcement personnel they're working with to bring in there an arrest total, perhaps. Right. Uh, And and of course, they the the guy from the National Guard yesterday said we don't discuss operational stuff. So don't give numbers uh, and that kind of thing. We 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 know from alternate reports that apparently that the the first night there was nobody. The second night there was like a hundred some. Now the the reports I'm seeing are about five hundred National Guard people that are in there, which which engaged in that. Okay. Well, I'm going to monitor this. We'll. Well, we I will dip in when when it starts. It was supposed to start ten minutes ago, and so they're running late. We'll we'll dip in and just see. But again, I there are yesterday's I thought candidly was just the disappointment because there, there's information that you want to get out and things like that, mm-hmm. and it just it kind of just started rambling. I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. Yes, it, it was unfocused, like you said. Yeah, unfocused would be the word. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, so we're gonna we are going to continue to to monitor that. We'll dip into the very beginning to see. Um, I, to, to to give you an example, though, of the craziness of our times, there was there was more rioting and looting in Minneapolis yesterday, and of course, Minneapolis is you know where where where. All the the recent social unrest started, you know, following the the, the death of George Floyd. So you you might say, well, what happened in Minneapolis yesterday? And, and this is one of these classic examples of how you how social media can be a great thing and it can be a terrible thing. If you haven't heard the story, what what happened is there was there was a situation where there, there was a confrontation in a Minneapolis parking garage about two o'clock in the afternoon it was a man and a woman who were confronted by another guy and the the guy shot the man that was with the woman i I don't know any more details about it than that whether it was a you know again a domestic sort of thing etc well then what happens is the okay the the man who was with the woman shoots the guy who confronted him the couple fled on foot following the shooting the woman was taken into custody a short time later. So now you have the, the guy who is believed to be responsible for shooting somebody in a parking garage. He he's hasn't been apprehended. Authorities are, are searching for him, and they find him about 6 o'clock in the afternoon at what they call the Nicolay Mall area, which is a, a dining district in downtown Minneapolis. So think think Water Street or, or something like that. So he's in he, he's in this, this area. Now, this is a guy who's wanted for, uh, again, a homicide. Officers are approaching. Um, the man pulls out a gun and kills himself, right? Shoots, shoots himself. And there, there's no, th- th- this isn't a police-related shooting. This isn't drop the gun. It's the police are coming onto the scene. The guy pulls out the gun, and he kills himself. It's, it's a suicide. There's all sorts of cameras that are out there. There's all these different witnesses. This is not, it's not an issue at all. There's no question of police misconduct. They're just trying to track the guy down. All right, police didn't open fire, nothing like that. Well, the word goes out on social media. Oh, you, you have another police-related shooting. The police have shot an unarmed man. And, and immediately what happens is you have the, the looters and the arsonists and the anarchists and the terrorists who go in, into full hyperdrive. After the word of this suicide 
of a guy who's believed to have committed a, a homicide goes out on social media. You have, again, downtown businesses, one after another, that are set on fire. You have windows that are broken. You have various stores that are, are looted. And again, you have the authorities trying to, you know, they have to end up declaring a, a warrant, um, uh, declaring a riot. I'm looking at the Minneapolis Tribune story now. Fire officials are investigating the torching of four retail outlets overnight. Um, one was downtown. There's a Irish bar that was burned. One's a tire plus one's a Chinese restaurant. And then one's a, a Walgreens as well. And then there's all sorts of other examples of the stores that are being you know broken into and again, looting that's going on. And again, it has nothing to do with, with police, even any, there's no allegation of police misconduct. It's a situation where you have a guy who killed another guy, uh, then apparently decides to take his own life. Uh, But this is now the impetus for people to go out and not engage in any sort of legitimate protest at all, but instead to go out and, okay, let's see what we can burn down in our community. Let's see what we can destroy in our community. And again, the police National Guard has to be called out, and, and all these businesses are now put in the position of having to try to, you know, rebuild after the arsons and after the the different looting examples and after all the violence that has no relationship at all to any social justice movement a, at all. But it tells me once again that you have people that are out there just looking for whatever excuse they can find to, again, engage in the looting or the violence, etc. And I, I've been trying to make this point for the last several weeks. People who have legitimate concerns about you know social justice issues in this country, I, I get it. But when you see that movement being co-opted by the people who engage in violence and things of the like, they're, they're hurting the movement. They're hurting the movement. They are hurting the cause among people who might otherwise be sympathetic, but are now looking and saying, okay, we, we've got another night of looting and violence and thing, buildings being set on fire. Um, for what? All because some guy who shot another guy kills himself in a public area and somebody on Facebook or whatever goes out and says, oh, we, we have another police shooting. And then so people just rush out and decide to set stuff in their community on fire. Give me a break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, it looks like the press conference Genosha is just about ready to get started. It appears that the participants are the same people that were there yesterday, the county executive, the mayor, the police chief, the county sheriff, and the uh, guy from the National Guard who is in charge of this. Um, should we dip in? What's Who's the guy talking now? Can you tell? Okay, let, let's... Let's dip in. So would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we come, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing who you are. You have called this moment of time and so that we can reflect on what we need to do. But more importantly, Lord, we need wisdom from you. And we need to pray for this family who is in pain right now. They're grieving right now. We need to pray for this whole city. Because, Lord, the turmoil and the things that's happening here, we know that this is not from above. 
But yet and still, Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy to comfort us, to bring peace to us. And most importantly, Lord, would you shine your light into the darkness so that we can have solutions for that which is paining us today. And we've got to be careful to give you all the praise. And we pray this in our bastard Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Amen. We will start with Mayor Anthuramian. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to be talking a little bit about a couple of the issues that I think are important to the community and for everyone else to understand. Number one, the most important aspect of what is going on is the safety of all people. Safety in the city of Kenosha and making sure that the residents understand that the law enforcement, this is the, Kenosha the Mayor. National Guard, the Sheriff's Department, all of them are here to be protective and to help protect the community and to also keep protesters who are peaceful protesters safe. So that, I think, is one of the main messages that I want to make sure everyone gets today. But once we get past the safety issue, the next question comes is unity. I'm going into a lot of detail today about how we're going to do all these things. Unity becomes one of the main aspects of what has to happen in this community. And that unity is only going to happen if all of us work together. So the city has been working, along with other entities, of putting together a number of committees that are going to be working on systemic racism and dealing with how we're going to improve our community and give everyone a voice. Um, in fact, Pastor Peoples is the person I have requested to be put in charge of making that happen. The last issue that I wish to bring up is dealing with the rebuilding of the community. And rebuilding is more than just fixing buildings. It's one of the things that I thought that was, was very impressive and I'm very proud of our community. And that is that when and after the damage had been done, people came out. Neighbors came out to help neighbors. All neighbors came out to help neighbors. The downtown had numerous people in the downtown cleaning up the streets, fixing buildings, doing everything they could to help their neighbor. And that is what this community really is about. And that is what we need to make sure that people see within our community and what is happening. But rebuilding also means more than that. It's a call to action. It's a call to make sure that we are there to be helpful. Um, we have asked and, and have asked the governor for support for financially for the businesses. And we are in conversations with that. And we're going to make the same request to the federal government. Um, so with that, I will turn it over to the county exec. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you to the people of Kenosha County and to the peaceful protesters, and especially those who followed the curfew, and all the people who followed the curfew. It made law enforcement's job a lot easier. I want to recognize the continued outpouring of support for businesses, many of which are small and family-owned in downtown, uptown, and really across Kenosha County. Whether showing up in person or through donations to rebuild, it's been a heartwarming experience. This is a true representation of Kenosha County. I want to also 
reconfirm our commitment to all of us here to address the core issues that have brought us to this point in time. We are still in the thick of the many challenges, but there will be a coming together around a table in coming days. Talk to Pastor Peoples also, and we are working together, the city and the county and the community. Um, to, I've had over 50 emails just recently by people who want to participate in that and move forward. My message to the world, which we know is watching, is that Kenosha County is made up of good and caring people. I'm confident that what we saw Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night isn't who we really are. I call on our community to seek change with peace, and I thank them again for how they adhered to the curfew to keep our community safe during this time. Thank you. I'm going to kind of mirror what the mayor and the county exec already said. This is the county sheriff. Uh, since Wednesday, the entire atmosphere of Kenosha has changed dramatically as far as, uh, as the people who live here. And I think the crowds last night were small. It was a few hundred people. And they walked peacefully through Kenosha. And they, they did exactly what they wanted to do as far as the protest, to make people know their concerns. But they did it without violence. And I think the people that were here last night were Kenosha's people. We didn't see streams of cars coming in from out of Kenosha County. Huge part of me thinks that a lot of our issues start when uh, different people with, di with different agendas come here to Kenosha. Kenosha's people are loving, peaceful, and I'm good with change. And these people did exactly what they needed to do in a peaceful way. The people that did not want to partake in the, 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 what was happening last night, which, which again was very small, um, they stayed home. We made a 7 o'clock curfew. Uh, the people of Kenosha, thank you. Thanks for doing, thanks for ad adhering to the 7 o'clock curfew and clearing the streets. So you, your families, your property, uh, were all safe. And it allowed us to do our jobs. Since since Sunday when this whole thing started, the personnel, the resources, the equipment from, uh, from our county, from the counties around us, uh, we, have, we have some departments in the state of Wisconsin that sent us, they're smaller departments, that sent us a third of all their deputies. Uh, we have small police departments that sent us one of their officers, and that's probably a third of all their officers they have. They want to come and help keep Kenosha safe. They want to come and help the people here in Kenosha, and they want to help protect the protesters too. The state has been fantastic as far as sending resources from the very first minute that we asked them. They have, they have sent everything that we've asked for, and, uh, and, and they've been outstanding. The federal government uh, notified us yesterday that they were, they've been here truthfully from the first day too. We've had people from Marshalls, uh, FBI, ATF, we have, we've had them from the very first day too. The feds have been here from the first day helping with the exact same mission that everyone else is, to help protect the people of Kenosha and protect everyone who's here. We have got 
generous people and businesses here in Kenosha. Our staff, uh, the numbers continue to grow and we need to, to feed them. The businesses, the people are coming with bags from McDonald's. Uh, they're coming with uh, cold meat. They're coming with platters. They're coming with all kinds of uh, nourishment that our, our staff needs. And we'll continue to monitor the, the press conference. As apparently, they've announced that they're not going to be taking questions. They're just going to be making the various statements that they're making. We'll continue to monitor this. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with Melissa's News. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Who's ready for Super Bowl Sunday in August? WTMJ turns back the clock to 1997 and Super Bowl 31. Names like Reggie White, Brett Favre, and who can forget Desmond Howard. Tune in this Sunday at 6 o'clock to hear the Packers' third Super Bowl championship. That's Packers Classic. It is sponsored by Health Tradition, Sitzberger and Company CPAs, and West Bend Insurance. All right, the good news is that last night in Kenosha, there was extreme calm. What happened, unlike the previous three nights where you had rioting and looting and shooting and all the carnage, what what happened yesterday is uh, apparently they they imposed the 7 o'clock curfew. Most people went home. Some people didn't, but the people who did not go home were not engaged in law-breaking or or violence. There was a march. The police let them march after curfew. And and essentially, I I don't know. One one of the things that's been frustrating to me this entire time is we haven't gotten any reports or statements from the police about arrests. And and I just, I don't don't understand it. How can you have had all the stuff that went on the previous three nights? And and, who's in jail? Who was arrested? Were people arrested? Did civilian authorities completely lose control? What, What exactly happened? But we don't have those numbers numbers yet. But in any event, yesterday, to, to everyone's credit, was incredibly, incredibly peaceful. There was not the violence. My question to you is, why do you think this happened? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Why, why was yesterday, why was last night so much better than the previous three nights? What happened? And I guess I, I bring this up in part because I'm wondering if there is a lesson that we learn from, I don't know, to, to be applied in, in the future when stuff like this happens. Because by and large, yesterday was, in fact, peaceful in Kenosha by, I think, any reasonable stretch of the imagination. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to start off. I, I think I think really there were, there were in my opinion, there, there were two things that, that happened. First and foremost, you finally had enough of a police law enforcement presence. And by that, I'm, I'm, in, I'm talking about Kenosha police and Kenosha sheriffs and all the supporting agencies and the National Guard. They're not releasing the numbers, but I'm told that there were close to 500 National Guards people who were finally deployed into Kenosha. So you had a, a massive police presence in the community. 
And I, I think the word got out that they were not going to tolerate the type of behavior that went on for the previous days. So for the first time in, I think, several days, you had enough law enforcement personnel, and I'm including National Guard in that, to deal with the situation. That's number one. Number two, I, I think, and the sheriff alluded to this during his press conference, I, I think for whatever reasons, you did not have the influx of the out-of-town agitators, whether it was people from other parts of Wisconsin who were flooding into Kenosha, whether it was people coming up from Illinois um, who, who really weren't members of the community, but were coming up. I think in some cases acting as what I will describe as opportunists looking for the chance to, uh, again, engage in violence, engage in looting, engage in destruction. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, both of those things were, were, were going on. For the first time in a few nights, you had enough police on scene to deal with the, the problem. And I, I think the authorities made it very, very clear that we're not going to allow this to continue. I, I think maybe a third factor, too, would be I think people of goodwill had to look at what had gone on in Kenosha over the course of the last few days and, and been just completely appalled. And, and I, I'm talking about a 17-year-old kid walking up and down the streets with a long rifle indiscriminately shooting people. All right, that I, I, there's no way you can look at this and not be appalled by it. And I, I think people also appalled by the fact that civilian authorities lost control of that community over the course of those couple days. So I, I think just a lot of people were looking at this and saying that this this has just gone way too far. The rioting, the looting has gone way too far. The idea of civilian militias wandering the streets, a 17-year-old wandering the streets with a long rifle, you know, shooting people. I, I think people of goodwill just kind of looked at this and said, this this has got to stop. 855-616-1620. I, I think it's all of those different factors. All right, let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. Good. What do you think? <laughs> well, I noticed a couple distinct differences uh, between the night of the violence and last night when everything was peaceful. Uh, for a little bit of perspective, I live uh, just across on the other side of the block from where uh, the shootings went down the night before. So I, I literally uh, saw it from my backyard, and uh, I noticed two distinct differences. One was that last night there were almost no armed militias or groups like there were the other night. Mm -hmm. There were multiple large groups uh, fully armed with uh, all the rifles and stuff, and and I get the reasons why, but uh, there there was none of that last night. Uh, And also, a large group of peaceful protesters that were in the park, the night of the violence, uh, it escalated between the police in front of the courthouse and the group of protesters because there were some insiders in that group throwing things back and forth at the police. Mm-hmm. Police were then they they pushed the whole group out of the park and pushed themselves, which unfortunately uh, just happened to be in the direction of multiple uh, groups of those armed militias, and I think that's what started off all that conflict. But last night. The police uh, let them completely be everybody that was peaceful. They did not do almost any engaging with them. Uh, I I watched it till about one in the morning, and the only few rare occasions where police did pull up on people and stuff, 
it, it appeared to be that they were only targeting uh, bad actors or, or people that were acting and suspiciously with uh, mm-hmm. suspicious behavior. The the main group was peaceful all night long. They were very loud, but very peaceful. And a lot and smaller, right? A lot smaller is the uh, sense it, I it get. Was a, it was a lot smaller, yeah. yeah. No, but good. Those are the, the two big differences I noticed. Good enough. Thanks for the perspective. I, and again, that's that. that I, I think I think part of it, like I said, going back to my, my basic premise here, I, I think finally, for the first time in several nights, you have enough of a law enforcement, including the National Guard, presence to say, okay, we, we're, we're not going to back down. We're not going to be overwhelmed. We're not going to do what they have done in Madison, unfortunately, on multiple occasions, which is just say, we're, we're going to withdraw and, and not engage. So I think there were enough law enforcement personnel that I think they made it clear that we're, we're not going to be allowing people to throw Molotov cocktails and we're not going to be allowing the looting. We're, we're going to engage in that. I, I think the lack of the citizen militia, um, I, I think was a, was a positive, was definitely a positive thing. And I'm, and I'm sorry. And I get, I get emails from people who are saying people have rights to defend themselves and things like that. It, it's one thing. It's one thing to use a gun to defend yourself if people break into your home at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's another thing to be wandering around the, the streets of of a metropolitan area, you know, looking to get involved in confrontations with protesters. They're, in my opinion, they're completely and totally different things. So you had less of, of that presence, if any of that presence. And I do think the, the out-of-town agitators for whatever reasons, maybe they were being turned away more aggressively at roadblocks, but I think there were there were fewer, a lot fewer out of town agitators. Because let us be honest, a number of the people that came up over the last couple of days to engage in the rioting and looting, they weren't no, they weren't Kenosha locals. These were people who I think saw this as an opportunity to e- engage in whatever form of anarchy they wanted and think of justifications. And I think you put all that stuff together and you know what you have here is that you you have again a a dialing back of things and i i I think that that's a formula and it's perhaps a recipe for for moving forward as you try to again accommodate legitimate protest over conditions but at the same time recognize that in a civilized society you cannot allow groups of of rioters to just destroy things and break windows and loot and burn stuff. And similarly, you you can't allow people to become vigilantes and take the law into their own hands and wander around streets, you know, in 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 the guise of, hey, I, I wanted to be deputized as a police officer, but I can't do that, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You can't have that happen either. It's real simple. And and hopefully what happened in Kenosha last night will continue to happen. I hope there's a huge police presence that stays for a while. Hopefully that'll continue to happen. And maybe, just maybe, the lesson of Kenosha last night is a lesson that we can apply in other places as well. It does, however, I think start with making sure that you have enough law enforcement personnel to control uh, a situation and making it clear that you're not going to allow the situation to get out of control. And I think maybe that discourages some of the people 
who are coming to, again, try to take the these protests into a very dark area. And by that, I mean into the, 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 the sight line of, okay, we're not about protest. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be perpetrating, again, the, the rioting. We're going to be perpetrating the attacks and things like that. I mean, if you want to turn to the dark side, okay, you need law enforcement to discourage that and allow everybody else to engage in you know what they describe as the good protests and you know the, the good effects of ways that you try to bring about change. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There is a letter which has been sent to Governor Tony Evers and Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. It, it's signed by the um, it, it's endorsed by the signed by the president of the Wisconsin Badger State Sheriffs Association, the president of the Wisconsin Sheriffs and Deputy Sheriffs Association, the Wisconsin Chief of Police Association, and the president of the Wisconsin Police Executive Group. Um, here, here's here's what it says. It says the purpose of this letter is to respectfully ask that those in your administration discontinue and refrain from making statements and issuing press releases specific to the city of Kenosha police involved shooting until the facts of the investigation are known. Previous remarks and statements made by each of you, and this is directed at the governor and the lieutenant governor, are premature, judgmental, and flammatory, and only add to the anger and divisiveness of an already dangerous situation. A continued pattern of statements and press releases based on opinion and unsubstantiated claims puts people's lives at risk. These are not peaceful protests. There have already been two deaths and many injuries. Continued remarks like those already made by each of you have also put the lives of law enforcement officers, National Guardsmen, and the public at risk. Law enforcement leaders also respectfully ask that you call for an end to these riots and a stop to the violence. The reference is the, the quite frankly, bizarre press release issued at the very beginning of this by both the governor and by the lieutenant governor where they denounced the, the, the shooting Without making references, first of all, to the, the the fact that the rioting was ensuing, you know. So, it, first of all, it was like we we just we just we denounced the shooting, and, and secondly, what I think the police are referring to is this rush to judgment, assuming that the the shooting was going to be a bad shooting, a, instead of just urging, hey, let's 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 this investigation run its course, let us everything be calm. What we want to do is we have a thorough investigation and a full vetting of the facts. That's not the position that either the governor or the lieutenant governor jumped to, and that's what the purpose of this letter is. To that point, the Wisconsin Department of Justice is is starting to release kind of like preliminary statements on on the shooting. And this is the attorney general, and it also involves the, the DA. Uh, according to the reports, police were dispatched to a, a residence in Kenosha after a female caller reported that her boyfriend was present and was not supposed to be on the premises. So the officers arrived. During the incident, officers attempted to arrest Jacob Blake. Police officers deployed a taser, which was unsuccessful. Blake walked around his vehicle, opened the driver's side door, leaned forward, according to officials. While holding onto Blake's shirt, the officer fired his service weapon into Blake's back seven times. 
Officers say no other weapon, no other officer fired their weapon. They do not have body cameras, which is a whole nother topic. Um, the question during the investigation, Blake, the man shot, admitted he had a knife in his possession, according to the Department of Justice. Agents recovered a knife from the driver's side floorboard of the vehicle. Okay, so that's that's what we know thus far. There are a number of people who are interpreting this as, as meaning that this might ultimately be a, a justifiable shooting. As, as I have said before, I think you need to let the investigation play its course. Um, candidly, I I have trouble understanding the, the use of force to this degree, but I, I'm, I'm not going to try to prejudge this. We'll wait for all the facts and a decision to, to come back. And I believe me, I'm, I'm pro-law enforcement, and I, I'm the guy who says you, you need to put yourself in the position of police officers, and it's easy to kind of Monday, ma- qu- Monday morning quarterback that, that. At the same time, I also think police officers – have an obligation to try to de-escalate situations when, whenever possible. And I agree that police officers don't have to put their lives in danger, but sometimes if by backing up a couple steps um, you, you can maybe diffuse a situation, I, I think that you should be backing up a couple steps. Now, I'm willing to wait for this investigation to, to play its way forward. As I was interpreting some of the comments by the district attorney yesterday, my, my sense was he was kind of laying the groundwork, making it very clear that there, there's a very high standard for criminal charges. Now, I don't know what the investigation is ultimately going to determine, but whatever the results are, I, I think, once again, cooler heads, hopefully, will, will need to prevail in this situation. But I, I do agree that at least the initial comments of the governor and the lieutenant governor did not help the situation. Hopefully... Things have calmed down now. Hopefully, we're not going to see a recurrence of the violence that occurred over the last several nights. Hopefully, you're not going to see armed militias pouring into Kenosha to defend, quote-unquote, defend property. Hopefully, you're not going to see out-of-town agitators pouring into Kenosha, throwing firebombs and bricks at police officers. Hopefully, everything's going to just simmer down for a while. Let the authorities do their investigation, let the chips fall where they may, make decisions based on the facts, make decisions based on the law, and then deal with it. As to the issue of body cameras, you know, I've said this before, I say it again, Kenosha approved body cameras in 2017, but haven't funded them. I am a big believer. I believe every law enforcement officer in the state of Wisconsin should be equipped with a body camera. I believe in most cases, that will serve as a defense for the police, you know, because I, I think a, a lot of times when they're accused of misconduct or whatever, if you had if you had a recording of the interaction, you would find that the police behaved in a respons- responsible, professional fashion. Um, so if, if nothing else comes from this, maybe it's impetus to spend the money, figure out the rules, put cameras on police officers for everybody's benefit. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I want to I want to move on from the, the rioting. We, we will have an opportunity to discuss it. And by the way, for all the tens and tens and hundreds of texts I'm getting from people who want to wade in on whether or not the, the initial shooting that started all this turns out to be justified, I promise we will have an extensive conversation on it. 
but but candidly until there is a full report detailing that the facts the officer's perspective and you know the objective information found in investigation I, I think it's kind of counterproductive to have that and I, I know a lot of people are saying well I the, the police officer we've already decided the police officer could do no, no wrong there's other people who are saying well of course this was a bad shooting and and again I think it all has to be facts ba- fact based I don't think it is constructive to engage in that dialogue I have said before that as a general rule, I think when you have somebody that shot multiple times in the back, that raises all sorts of concerns. We do not have the death penalty in this country for resisting arrest. We don't have the death penalty in this in this country for domestic violence and things of the like. But we'll once the facts come out and a decision is made, we will have more than an opportunity to thoroughly discuss it, and I promise we will. Um, one final thought. I just sent out a, a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, the Kenosians has, has an editorial, and I would say this, it is brutal with regard to Governor Evers. Um, it's just, it, it says a lot of the things that a number of us have been saying, but this is the Kenosha editorial, which is essentially saying uh, you know, Governor Evers, when, when this was all happening, instead of doing what needed to do- be done, which is immediately deploying the National Guard and getting people here, you were issuing statements that essentially threw gasoline onto a, a smoldering fire. And it, it goes through all the things that the governor did and did not do um, in order to, or perhaps then should have done, in order to make the community safe. So it's it, it's just it's just brutal, and I call your attention to it because my message, and I sent this out on the on the tweet, was that you know hopefully Governor Evers, who I think has done a lousy job of dealing with violence um, resulting from like some of the social justice movements, because he's so very concerned with not wanting to be unsymp- viewed as unsympathetic to the cause of protesters, that that he's willing to look the other way when the protests get hijacked by the terrorists and the anarchists and the looters, um, this this editorial, I, I think it, it's eye-opening, and, and hopefully Governor Evers, Evers will pay attention, he'll listen, he'll learn for the next time something like this happens. But again, if you want to see the Kenosha News editorial, I've got a link to it. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 Okay, let us, let us switch gears. Melissa Barkley. Mm-hmm. All right, so this morning... I turn on the TV. I, I wake up to um, my wife likes Good Morning America. She yes. likes Robin Roberts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Good Morning America is on the TV, and they are doing a phone interview with a woman from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Louisiana, yes. And and Lake Charles is kind of in the New Orleans area, and it's right where Hurricane Laura hit, Category Five thing and and so it, it's i mean just absolutely devastating you look at what this this hurricane did 700 plus thousand people out of power homes just destroyed etc so the woman she's she's talking about you know how you know all the her family was hiding under the kit they had boarded up the windows they were hiding under the kitchen table um but the minute the storm hit it ripped the roof off oh, so being yeah. you know under the kitchen table really didn't help that that much she says we thought we were safe we had generators we had windows boarded up um and, and but she said the storm ended up being much worse than they thought we got our family and our home under the kitchen table after being under the table for 5 minutes we lost our roof um 
We ran from our home, broke into a nearby house that was empty and under construction, took cover, etc., etc., felled trees, power lines in the neighborhood, and they're hoping first responders will come out as soon as the conditions improve, but the first responders are saying, we can't get to you right right now. Okay, so I'm watching this, and uh, you know you know what my first reaction to this is? Why did you not evacuate? That's that's it. And I, I'm, I ask myself I, every every national every natural disaster that happens that there's warning. There's I, there's plenty of warning. I, I, you know, I don't I'm, get that. I'm yelling at the television yes. at seven o'clock in the morning. And look, and I'm I'm glad the lady. I'm glad she survived. Safe. Yes, I'm glad the family survived. I I am truly sorry that all this stuff happened to their house. But I, I'm look, looking at her and listening to her, and she said, and then she's like, "Well, we really need help, and we need people to get there." And then the emergency folks are saying, "We we can't." But they already warned people yeah. prior to this, at but, least 24, 48 hours before right. this happened, saying you need to evacuate. This is unsurvivable. Was the word, the term that they used? Thank God they survived. But right, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people. I think do they have pets? That's why they don't want to leave. Do or they, they just want to leave their they stuff? They don't want to leave their stuff, but your stuff is destroyed. Right, right, your. And your life. And, and at the end of the day, it's just stuff. Yeah, it's very frustrating. I, I don't understand that mindset. Okay, so that doesn't make me a bad person for yelling, no, uh, yelling at, at the table. They told you to. I mean, no. I, I, if I lived in an area where, and I've never been through a hurricane, but if I lived in an area where they said there was a hurricane that was about to hit, get the heck out. Yeah. I'm getting the heck out. I'm packing up the car. I'm putting the dog in. I'm taking, you know, some of my favorites, you know, Jimmy Buffett t-shirts, and I'm heading out <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, you're getting out of there because your life means more than just your home. You know, your life is your life. And I, there were even warnings yesterday that said, even if you have generators, right. don't bring them inside because of carbon monoxide. Don't do that. You don't think that, you know, this you can outrun this because you can't. So, well, yeah, I, I agree with you on right. this one. All right. I, I, I want to... I'll put up 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I don't, I don't want this to appear like I'm beating up on a woman no. who just went through a hurricane. But, but, but at the same time, I, I, again, as I'm watching this piece on Good Morning America, she seems, at least to me, a little bit agitated that the, the first responders aren't going to be able to get in there for who knows how long to help her and, and her, you know, and these other families that are out. But, but these are people that made the decision to stay when everybody else was saying, this is the real thing, go. I mean, it, obviously, you, you got to go out and help them. There, there's, there's no question about it as soon as you can. But is there any justification for deciding that you're going to stay when everybody is telling you get out? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, it's just... It's so mind-bogglingly, and I'm going to use the word stupid, It's, and I don't mean to say that she's a stupid woman. I'm saying it is a stupid decision when they say the world is about to end, as you know it, and you make the decision that you're going to try to ride this out. And then, I mean, the reality is, you know, if you're lucky enough to survive the huge flood surge and stuff like that, the truth is you're going to be stuck there for a while because the first responders, you know, how can you expect people to be putting their lives on the line to come try to get you after you've made this bad decision? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, they told the residents if you stay, first responders might not be able to get to you. And now people that stayed are wondering why they can't get there. What? What 
that's that that's exactly it and i guess i just don't understand the mindset now some people are saying well it's because you get evacuation warnings and and sometimes they don't pan out well well yeah i, I understand if you're going to live in an area that's prone to hurricanes you're you're, you're going to get warnings from time to time and, and maybe it's a false positive maybe you leave and then you're able to come back but that doesn't mean you can ignore the next one does it let's talk to tom in hartford tom you're on wtmj Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, before I forget, how was that six iron coming? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm still working. I'm still. I still need to hit it ten yards farther, my friend. That's my midlife crisis. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll get back to the good one. Uh, people that live on these areas, Rob, where the hurricanes are, and like California, where the fires are, I, I, in my own heart, I can feel sorry for life, but I can't feel sorry for them. If you want to live in that area, fine. It's pretty fine, but when something comes along. I mean, don't complain. I, I hope they don't complain of that, but I don't want to see them lose their lives. But there's a lot of other places to live besides those places. You know what I mean? Oh, dude. No, thanks for call, Tom. And, and by the way, I mean, if, if you make the decision that you want to you, you want to live in New Orleans at, at sea level or you want to live in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and there, there's lots of, I, I mean, New Orleans is a great town. I've been to Lake Charles, too. It, it, great towns, but you have to understand that this is, you, you are living in, in a hurricane alley, and this is is a risk that you are going to run. That you know you're you're going to have this happen from from time to time. What I don't understand is this decision that you would make to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna hunker out through this. I mean, when the authorities and you're when you're looking at the radar maps, and, and believe me, anybody who lives in any of these areas that are prone to hurricanes, they know how to read radar maps and they know how to watch the news. And when when people tell you leave, and when they say we're not kidding around, this is the real thing, and you still make the decision not to now somebody texted me and said well maybe they didn't have the money now, that's that that's not that's not the motivation there, there's emergency people you know there, there's shelters they will get people out the people who who decide to stay make the conscious decision that they want to stay they don't want to leave they don't they don't want to abandon their property um it's an inconvenience they think maybe that it can't be that bad. And in this particular case, the lady says, oh, we're all under the kitchen table. That's her hurricane response. We're going to have the family under the kitchen table. What well, doesn't do any good when the roof gets ripped off? And look, I'm glad she's alive. But I did find myself screaming. I'm yelling at the TV this morning. Going, they told you to get out. You know, what, what were you thinking when you decided to stay? Bob in Hales Corners. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Just want to let you know I love you so I'm going to uh, just lament what the last guy had said. These people that live down in, like, Louisiana and stuff where you know they're below sea level, why does the government even allow people to build where they're in a floodplain to begin with and we always have to bail them out? You, you know, that was the conversation after Katrina. The whole question was, Katrina, right? The whole question was, what you know should you even rebuild new orleans because no matter what you do no matter how high a seawall you put in or any of that stuff you're you're still talking about a, a city that's built in just about the worst place you can possibly build it you know when you consider like the hurricanes and and the sea level and stuff because i remember there was a huge conversation should should we even be rebuilding or should people just be moving to somewhere further away yeah, and I I understand that I feel sorry for him, but you know this this is something that keeps happening over and over again, just like the other caller said about California. Yeah, it, that's it, a risk you want to take, but if it keeps happening, I don't understand why you would 
put your life in jeopardy of, of just not moving somewhere a little bit farther up, maybe. Yeah, no, thank, right, thanks. Well, I mean, again, look, I, I understand... I understand the the appeal of of living in New Orleans, and I under now I, candidly would would I ever want would I ever want oceanfront property? And the answer is probably you know I, I could see being in a warm weather spot, maybe a few miles inland or something like that. But but the bottom line of all this is it it is one of the risks that you end up running. But again, the the, the bigger point is if you want to decide to live there and you can afford the insurance or you're willing to go without insurance, that's a risk that you end up end up taking I, I guess to me at the end of the day your your house your tv sets your clothes your cars all that that's stuff and you can always replace stuff but when it comes to your, your life and when you have authority saying look at this you you, you got to get out seems to me that that you have to you know figure out how you get out and and by the way if i if i were living in lake charles louisiana or i was i don't know living in any of the, these other areas along the gulf that that get hit with hurricanes or in miami or whatever one of the first things that i would do is i would have Okay, what is my plan when, you know, we're told that we've got the, the major storm that's coming there? Where am I going to go? You know, where, where do I have family? You know, where am I planning to go? And, and maybe the plan is just we're getting in the car and, you know, we're, we're heading as far inland as fast as we can. And if it means we have to sleep in the car for two days, we're sleeping in the car for two days. But I guess I just think you got to get out, don't you? Pete in Oconomowoc. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. My, Hi. my take is slightly different on this. And, I'm sitting in the Mitchell Airport ready to go to a flight in Miami, and I can see on the radar that there's a hurricane in Miami. And they're saying, and I asked my employer, do you want me to come or should I stay? No, come on down, come on down. A lot of these things just go right on by. So we come down. We're at the meeting for about two hours, and they said, okay, all you guys got to go now. There's a hurricane coming. <laughs> now, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy in the snow belt, Jeff. How did I even know that? But somebody who lives there didn't have enough forethought to say, Stay there. You're better off where you are. Right. And, and we'll we'll reschedule the meeting and maybe this will turn out to be nothing. And you can come down two days from now or whatever. Yeah, it's sure. just, well, how, how scary was it? Did you did you end up having to ride the hurricane out or were you able to get back? No, my wife worked in the uh, travel industry for business. And so I got on the phone. I said, honey, you got to get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and she did. She got me a flight out that afternoon. And, and I worried about me, myself and I in that order. And I felt bad because I thought I was taking maybe somebody else's flight that really needed to get out that was already there. So it, right. it was not a really good situation to R- be in. Right. No. It, it, right. The thank, that's where you say, hey, hey, thanks, boss. You know, how how could we how could we figure, you know, how could we end up figuring that out? OK, let's talk to Caroline in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, hope all is well with you. Yeah. Um, I am, my reason for calling is I have family in Louisiana and they're not, we're not like super close family, but it's family and they have a farm. They have a lot of animals, including horses and cows, and they don't want to leave them behind. And that's what their people are being told that if, and they also have dogs and cats and people are being told, she was telling me about people trying to get to shelters with their pets. And they're being denied. And so during a pandemic, during all this COVID, you're already super stressed. Yep. And then you're being told, oh, you have to leave your family behind. Of course, people are going to not want to leave because, A, there is no one, you know, so many people are not working, so they're not earning income. 
and then you have people being told to leave their pets behind. And what, you're going to come back to absolutely nothing? And I can understand wanting to move away and wanting to clear the area and have people build, but where else are people going to go? Well, but but your point, though, I mean, if if you don't leave, what's the... I mean, what what's what is the plan B? So I, I understand you're saying you, you don't want to leave the the animals behind. And I, I, look, I'm an animal lover. I, I I understand all that. But if if the hurricane hits like it hits, you're not going to be able to help the animals anyways. All you're doing is putting your own life at risk. Well, I mean, what, but what, afterwards, hmm. after after the storm goes through, if you live, my cousin's concern was that there will be no one to help kind of recover the animals, save them if they're hurt, yeah. and she's willing to do everything for her animals. And, I mean, I, I understand, and I told her that she should be leaving, and she said, where am I going to go? No one's going to help the animals, so I have to stay for the animals. Okay, got it. I, I, I guess, and my point, Carol, and look, and I understand, it's, 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 it's not you making that decision. My point would be, if you die in the hurricane, you're not going to be able to help the animals either. So, th- thanks for call. I appreciate it. No, and I, and I understand it's a difficult decision. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, th- this is your house. This is your property. This is your location. Now, I think in some cases, the, the situation Caroline's talking about might be a, a bit of a, unique one i mean some people maybe it is the farm i think a lot of people including the lady on good morning america they just decided we don't think it's going to be that bad we're, we're going to just kind of ride it out and i'm glad she survived but in some respects it's but for the grace of god that 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 happens this is jeff wagner